Welcome to the Blue Collar Barbarians podcast, brought to you by the Blue Collar Barbarians Network, your new source for all things savagery. And today we have a really, really, really cool guest for you guys. Um, first of all, it's awesome that we're able to test a new platform tonight. We're going to be running this. This is our first official remote recording. And I got one of my very good friends, Mark Futrell, with us tonight. Mark, thank you so much for joining us, dude. It's I've been looking forward to this conversation literally all day, man. <laughs> well, it's great. It's great to be here. And, you know. I'm happy you reached out to me and, you know, we've, we've reconnected over, over the course of a few years and, you know, I love watching, watching what you're doing and your growth and, you know, seeing your podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate that. The team here, we've been working really hard at just trying to provide value, right? So everything that this show is about between the giveaways, between the knowledge, the guests, it's all about just literally trying to provide our community, our brothers and our sisters in blue collar world as much and maximum like impact and value as literally humanly possible. So I really appreciate the compliment. We've had some really cool guests on, but you're no slouch yourself, Mark. Uh, I've been super excited about this because you have a very unique story. You understand hard for what hard is. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And not only do you understand hard, you understand resilience, you understand redemption, you understand being gritty in the mud. I mean, for the audience here, I met Mark back five, uh, well, nine years ago, ironically. I met Mark nine years years ago ago. on a project when I was running Crane, and uh, this guy was a workhorse. He was actually one of the only competent hands that we got to deal with that you could just talk to on a real level without having to over explain stuff to from the crane seat when you're trying to tell him what you need. He's very sharp. And uh, man, it's been incredible from the outside to watch you grow. Um, I I really, really just want to congratulate you on your recent things, which we'll get into, but on your recent promotions and such, but it's been very, very cool to see your growth, man. And uh I just, I want to tell you, I'm proud of you. <clears throat> Very proud of you. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate the hell out of that because it's been, it's been a hell of a road. Yeah. And we're going to get into that because it absolutely has. But, uh, you know, when you say the road, I think about what's the road paved with, right? Everybody talks about what it's like to drive down the road, but what, what paves that road? And dude, your story just really speaks volumes. Um, I really think our audience here is going to have you better just bust out your notepads folks. Cause if <laughs> literally um, it's just an incredible feat to speak about coming from the bottom and to the getting to the top and finding redemption through just finding yourself. Even dude, your story is just, it's everything powerful to me. Um, so with that being said, Mark, let's jump into Let's jump into the let's let's get into coming up. Uh, you went through some hard stuff growing up. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a real interesting go, you know, and sometimes, you know, me and my wife, we sit we sit down and we ponder it's like, holy crap, like we have, you know, just we've been together nine years and we have two children. I have one from a separate marriage. He has two from a separate marriage. So we have five in total. And, you know, it has been in the last nine years, the most up and down roller coaster that you could imagine. 
I mean, <laughs> negative, th- negative three months worth of bills in the bank, you know, every, everyone's trying to pull out cash and nothing's happening. It just keeps going lower. And, you know, me and the wife got to figure out like, what are we going to do? How, How are we, we going to make ends meet? Yeah. There's a red notice on the front door. What do we do? It's Christmas time. Like, how are we gonna how are we gonna pay the power to make sure we have fucking power on Christmas? Right. And it's it's one of those things that you going through moments like that, you know, especially not having to be alone. You know, I have a solid a solid backbone, which is my wife. Over the course of my last nine years of life, and you know, going from having that negative three months of bills to having a positive six months of bills and one check deposited. And it's one of those, it's, it's the, the growth mindset of always knowing that you can, you can achieve what you dream. You just might not achieve it in the time frame that you feel like you need to have it. Right. I was, put, I, I was put through hard times and went through, through it. And, and in my head, it's like, man, why is this happening to me? But then in hindsight, and then sometimes right in the middle of it, it's like, oh, there's a life lesson that I need to be learning here to not let this happen again. Yeah. And I don't mean to cut you off here, brother, but there's something that you said there. It's about that mindset, the mindset that you have to have. It's not optional. It's not, it's not like when it benefits you, it's something that you have to get, you have to create, you have to build it. You have to, I mean, you can't just go through, especially in your journey, like we're about to dive into, you can't go into this with any sort of a doubt. You have to go into it with, I will, I am going to, I know I can, whether you do or don't, you have to tell yourself in your mind, I am right. And so let's cover a little bit of the hard, jump into your background here. Um, you come, you, you were, went to prison pretty young. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, your stereotypical uh, foster child. It was adopted, went through the foster care system in uh, Southern California, Los Angeles, to be exact. Great place to grow up as a foster child. Adopted out of there to uh, my uncle and technically uncle and aunt. Very, very religious people. And me and my three brothers were, you know, quite the hellions. They adopted all three of us. It, It took them quite a few years to get all of us but they did and over the course of the next you know seven eight years by the time i was 14 15 not one of us in that household saw eye to eye and so i kind of bounced out of there and we moved to idaho from california started my freshman sophomore year at centennial and realized that there was bigger and better things for me and i was too smart to be sitting at home and going to high school so I, I ran away from uh, Centennial High School, bought me a Greyhound bus ticket at 15 and uh, rode a bus up to Seattle, hitchhiked from Seattle down to uh, Northern California and went tracked down some past family members, hung out for about six months. And then they they sent me back to, to Idaho because my, my adopted parents were getting pretty irritated that I was not coming home. So at 15 years old, you had to, you just decided, yeah, this school thing, this is for the birds. (laughs) 
I was done with it. <laughs> the system, right? The system. <laughs> I, I wasn't learning anything. The only reason I went to school was to hang out with friends and play football. That was it. I wasn't learning anything of value, and I just felt like there was something more out there for me. And so oh. I thought it was in my best interest to buy me a Greyhound bus ticket at 15 and bounce. Figure out what, what what's going to happen next. So we're going to find find something to happen. So you go to, I just want to cover this. You go to, you get a bus ticket with what little money you got. Go to Seattle, and then at 15 years old, you put the old thumb in the air and say, "Let's go California." I had some family members over in uh, the Clear Lake, Clear Lake, California, Lake County, near Modesto, Northern California. And I hitchhiked all the way down to the front step of my, uh, technically my adopted brother's house. I hadn't seen him for a few years and showed up on this doorstep at 15 with a case of beer and two unknown people. <laughs> so you were and resourceful. Like, <laughs> very resourceful. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like at times, you know, I used to tell myself I could sell a box of ketchup popsicles to an Eskimos in the middle of winter and they'd be buying cases of them. Even though they taste like shit, I get them to buy cases of them. So you've always had that quality about you where you could just sell. I, you just you just talk, you know. You just talk and you be real and you speak what's on on your mind and you don't hold back. And I think a lot of times in life, I listen to people talk and it's like, hold on, stop. Let's redo the conversation and tell me how you really fucking feel about it. Because I can tell that you're not saying what you want to say and you're sugarcoating or you're you're putting on a persona that's not you. Who are you? And let's hear it. Let's let's run this conversation back and let's try again. Right. So and you show up. Hey, so you show up because I, I do like there's this is such a cool story. So you show up at your brothers and, and I want I want you to save that fire. Because we're going to get to that mindset. And I know you're a goldmine, to be clear. I know you're a goldmine. I'm going to bench you on that. Because where there's going to come, that's going to come in here later. As, But I want you to develop this story more for us here. So you show up at your brother's house you haven't seen in a few years. After you hitchhiked at 15 years old down to California. Show up with some friends, new friends, people you don't even really know. With beer, nope, ready to have a conversation. And... What happened next? My brother had no idea that I had ran away and I didn't have a cell phone at that time to call anybody. So I'm just, you know, a freaking feather in the wind, giving it hell, hoping, so, I mean, you know, throwing shit against the wall, see if it's going to land. And he opens the door and he's like, what are you doing here? Where's mom and dad? And I was like, they're over in Idaho, man. <laughs> I brought I brought your favorite beer and these are these guys they just wanted to make sure that there was someone home because they picked me up over in Redding, California and drove me like two hundred miles to get here. I gave him a sob story and said that you were dying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I had to get to my brother. And they they started laughing. And then these guys my brother started laughing. And then they came and drank a twenty-four pack of beer with us. And, it was and went on their merry way the next day. Just a family reunion. <laughs> it, it was just a random family reunion. 
So then what and happened I, with I, you? Where'd you go from there? I hung out with I hung out with him for a couple, three, four, five months. And then I had a my adopted sister lived in Santa Rosa. And my brother was he was deep into like drugs and and you know, doing a lot of stuff that I, I didn't want no part of. And I was like, uh, it's time for me to get out of here. Yeah. Moved to my moved down to my sister's house. He got me a bus ticket down to Santa Rosa, California. And my sister's a you know, she does veterinarian stuff, cleans cats and trims animal hair and she's a very uniformed OCD person. Granted, she's my adopted sister, so I don't I mean she's not blood, but she's she's my sister. Close and enough. She was like, I don't I don't know if it's good for you to stay here, Mark. I think it's time for you probably to go back to mom and dad's. And so after six months on the road, she ships me back to my parents' house. I'm almost 16 at this point. So I stay at my folks' house and they send me back to school. And the day I turned 16, I, I went to the courthouse with a taxi cab and I'm looking, I'm looking for paperwork and doing research on trying to emancipate myself. So you just been this whole time you were 15, just on the run, essentially, just refusing to yeah. go home. And and my folks didn't they didn't call the law. They didn't care. As long as as long as I wasn't doing anything illegal and wasn't like breaking the law, they didn't care what I was doing. Huh. So you went and you found your sister for structure, essentially. You needed more structure and get and get away from a yeah. bad environment. Yeah, pretty bad environment. Yeah. And then what'd you do when you got to your sister's? We just hung out. I just hung out at her house. She took me to work a few days. I helped clean her place. Went and looked around her apartment. She lived in an apartment complex, like a gated community. I tried to find some odd jobs, like see if they let me mow the lawn or trim the bushes and see if I could make some money. But I was young and they didn't they didn't really want no part of me. No. And so it wasn't a good fit. She didn't make enough money to really have me around and, and support two two people to feed. She was just a single person. Right. And it's expensive to live in California. Oh, it ain't cheap. No, sir. Mm -mm. It ain't no. cheap. So then what? So when she shipped me home. I hung out at the folks' house. I went back to Centennial. I started my uh, my junior year at that point. I was 16. <laughs> and I, I realized that I could emancipate myself as long as my guardians sign off on it and I have legal employment. And so I went and found one of my good buddies. His dad had a, a like a side business, but it was a construction business. And I explained him the situation, and he was like, "I can make you a person on the books and 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 get you going." And so he started paying me, and I would go. I talked to the school, I talked to the courts, I talked to my guardians. They emancipated me. The school let me go to do night school, so I would work for. Kurt from six in the morning till four in the afternoon every day doing odd jobs, tearing off roofs, digging out basements, sheetrock, you know, taking care of baseball fields over in Boise Eagle on Eagle and uh, Fairview. 
And I would go to night school four days a week because I was like, okay, I got, I might as well just keep going to school. I'm almost done. Might as well get my diploma. Well, that, that turned into me living on my own, having enough money to get rent, rent a house and having a bad crowd around me. And because of that, you know, you, you are, you are who you hang out with, you know, in a sense, you hang out with people that do stupid shit and do drugs. You're no better than them because you're associating with them. And at that point in my life, you don't see it like that. You just, oh, it's Alan. Oh, it's Kyle. Well, long story short, someone tried to, tried to give me, give me to do drugs and help them sell drugs to make some money. And I told them I want no part of it. I flushed about $3,000 worth of crystal meth down the toilet at 17 oh, years old. I was, my life was threatened. I reacted before, you know, before I thought there was a legitimate threat. So now I'm 17, got my first place. I'm now a legal adult and I catch two felonies. For handling your business. Handling my business. And the judge wasn't super happy because I told him, I was like, hey, I'm just doing your guys' jobs, you know. We turned over a whole bunch of drugs because of it. Why is this my problem? <laughs> you know, 17, you don't care. You, you don't think about anything. Yeah, you're just arrogant, right? So, you're young, hungry. Yeah, hungry. Just just wanting to just to keep going. And, and this is a speed bump in my way. And I'm going to smash the speed bump, make it a flat spot, and just keep rolling. Well, yeah. that speed bump for me turned into a two years in uh, incarcerated with a once-in-a-lifetime eight years of uh, parole with a lot of years over my head because I was technically a minor. They still charged me as an adult. I did my I did my two years. I got convicted, got two felonies, got released, did all the stuff I had to do. And then as soon as I could move out of the state of Idaho and paid all my fines and restitution and did my classes, I told my my wife at the time, my first wife, I was like, well. I need to get out of here and you, we need to get out of here. I need to go find a job that makes some money. And I, I saw that there's oil rigs up in Wyoming. And she's like, well, we don't have money to just go to Wyoming. And I'm like, well, we have one car payment left in the checking account. And I was like, we'll just skip that payment. And I'm going to take that 300 bucks and drive our only vehicle while you're seven months pregnant. And drive me to fucking Wyoming and find an oil rig and see if I can go start working on it. <laughs> Talk about and, risk assessment. Holy yeah. cow. There was no risk assessment. It was a full send activity, dude. You just jumped right and it in was, then. So you go from incarcerated I, in prison, serving time, to about to be a father for the first time. And realizing that it's time to get back to it like it was that was just a pause had, for you no other, 
that was just a pause for you being in the system. It was, yeah, it was a pause. It was like a reevaluation of, of where my head was at and where I needed to be. And it really, it really made a lot of things that weren't clear, crystal clear for me. I can only imagine. I mean, I haven't been to prison, but I've been in situations in life like, um, like when you're in the military, you realize you're on a four-year contract, right? And there is no, whether you want to do it, you don't want to do it anymore, whatever. Like this is, it is what it is until your time is up, period, the end. And it gives you a lot of time to think about what you want and what you can do or who you really are to find that. And it made me curious. So I can only imagine for you when you got out and you, you hit the freedom again and you were determined as hell not to look back. I was never, never looking back. That's right. And you have, you have, you, your parole officer, you have your parents, you have everyone around you telling you, well, you have two felonies now and you're not going to ever really be that successful, but you need to do, you know, you need to follow this protocol and you need to get your GED now and, and, and find a good job because no one's going to hire you because you have felonies. And I I looked at every one of those, my parole officer, my parents, my teachers, every counselors, everyone around me. And I says, every one of you guys are the problem. If you can't sit in the positions you are and give me a boost of confidence and give me hope that there's more out there than than my fuck up at 17 years old. What are you guys doing? You were doing right. nothing but keeping people limited and, and smash down that don't have hope because you're not helping any kind of hope or you're not being inducive to my future activities. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, What's the best thing I can do? And I, I was reading news articles and, and researching jobs around the U.S. because I knew I had to get out of Idaho. As soon as I could leave Idaho, I was going to get out of it. I saw that they were standing up oil rigs left and right in Wyoming. And it was And I was time. like, well, I, I Googled oil fields, Wyoming. And it was like, Wamsutter, Wyoming. One of the meccas for British Petroleum's largest North America gas field, 2006, or yeah, 2005, 2006. And I was like, well, honey, I know that you're seven months pregnant and this is our only vehicle. And I don't have any more money and you don't have any more money, but I need to leave and I feel like I need to do this. Bye. And I took my last $330 and drove my Nissan Sentra in September from Caldwell, Idaho, all the way out to Wamsutter, Wyoming at Love's Truck Stop and crashed the night at this truck stop after driving nine, nine half hours. I woke up in the morning. I took a shower at the Love's Truck Stop and I started looking around when I drove out there and the first thing I see is right off the interstate, there's a huge hole. I'm like, dang, there it is. 
that's where people make the money. I I drove my Nissan Sentra, not having any idea about anything when it comes to oil and gas fields. I drove it right onto location, parked right next to the pusher shack, hopped out in freaking pants, t-shirt, ball ball cap, sunglasses, and walked my ass right up on top of this derrick. And there's fires going. There's all sorts of stuff happening. I have no idea. I'm just like, I want a job, guys. Put me to work. And so I thought if I walked up here, these guys would be like, yeah, this guy wants to work. And I went up there and I got punched square in the mouth. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> we got a blowback going on. You have no PPE on. What are you doing? And I was like, fuck, I'm looking for a job, man. And this guy's like, this is not how you do it. You have to call corporate. Get the fuck off my drill site. I was like, <laughs> Talk okay. about getting punched in the mouth trying to figure it out. Huh? I didn't really care. You know, no. I was I was determined and I had no idea. And back then, you don't really have like exactly smartphones you know what i mean yeah no you didn't back then that was back no. when you didn't have social media you didn't have any of that shit you just i could just see it you just show up like hard work and tenacity that's all you know like hey i'm here put me to work what more yeah. do you need <laughs> and <laughs> that it didn't says, work out get off my damn drill <laughs> he got he hit me so hard straight up flat back me and i'm just like what and I hop right back up and I'm like, hey, I understand that I don't know what's going on, but I'm still like I'm down to work after that. Like and he's like, I'm like, who do I call, man? I'm I'm this is my kind of business. <laughs> well, he didn't really give me any more information except to get the hell out of there. So I proceeded to clean up my face, went back to the truck stop, washed up, changed shirts, because I had blood on myself now. And drove around to every business I could find. This town of Wamsutter, within about two miles of the the truck stop. Turned out, I found me a place. After after two days, these guys they they said, "Hey, can you come back tomorrow?" I'm like, "Yeah, no problem. I'll be here with time." And I'm granted, I'm sleeping in a Nissan Sentra, four yeah. door in the parking lot of a truck stop, coming on winter time in Wyoming. You know, not a very inducive situation for work. No, but and you were I figuring it out, weren't you? I didn't care. I no. was going to do what the fuck it takes to make sure that I had my next paycheck coming in and I was going to support my family and support myself and get to the next level of whatever that level may be. I was going to do it. Man. And I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I was going to do it. And I... I ended up finding this place called D&D Oil Field Supply, and they happened to be the main contractor for British Petroleum, BP, that ran, they had a 265 personnel crew that ran all of their natural gas wells for BP's largest North, North America field, which was Wamsutter, Wyoming. And they put me on and says, hey, if you can pass a welding test, We'll hire you right now for 50 bucks an hour. 
and you coming. Yeah. I mean, and back then, let's like hold on a second because let's talk. Uh, 2005, 2006, 50 bucks an hour is like what? I mean, especially coming from having no money, 50 bucks an hour back in 06 with that economy, you're like <clears throat> bling bling. I mean, you're about ready to buy an $80,000. Ram 3500 brand new. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I just left I just left a fucking welding job for $15 an hour in freaking Middleton, Idaho, welding tanks and pressure vessels. Yeah, so this like, was a no-brainer for you. I was like, let's go. Let's run it. I'll test right now. <laughs> and I, I took my first test. I passed my first test, but in the oil field, they have a separate welding test. And it's so normal test is like it's called a high low. You run a 7018 and a 6010. Their test, they run it's called a hippie rod. And so when you do the pipe, it's a whole different rod. I never touched it before, but it was the welding inspector. He worked for BP and I explained to him my situation. I was like, dude. I got punched in the face three days ago. Like, I don't, I, I'm here. I live in at the truck stop, motherfucker. I can weld. And he's like, I know you can weld. You passed your first test. And I'm like, I'm going to be straight up with you. I never heard of no hippie rod. So when it comes to my next test, like, I'm going to try my best, but I, I don't know what to do. And he was like, just try. And we'll talk about it after you try. And he was an old dude. He's like 65. Super cool cat. Yeah, just a... I, passed, I, passed, I smoked through my first test. No problem. Did my second test. I could not get this rod to run. It was the stickiest. Like, I'm sticking bubble gum to this fucking pipe. And I could not get it to run. And he was like, all right. Come back at five. Go ahead and leave. Come back at five. I'm going to spend an hour with you. I seen how you done your first test. I could tell that you really want this and need this. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an hour of teaching. And he, he let me come back after hours and he sat there with me and showed me how to do it. And, you know, had my hood on watching him. I had my hood on welded and he's watching, telling me exactly what I need to do, how to get this rod to run and pass me on my test. And I went from basically breaking breaking even, taking my last paycheck and and betting on myself, my last car payment, betting on myself, and landed a fifty dollar an hour job. Just like that, Without, you're in. <laughs> I'm in. And I stayed at the truck stop for two more weeks, and once I got my first paycheck, they're like, "Hey." Where are you staying at? And I didn't want to tell no one because I was just going to continue to stay at that truck stop every night. I work 12, 13 hours and go back and take a shower at the truck stop and sleep in my fucking driver's seat in my car. I wasn't going to tell nobody. I was just going to do me. And, and they were like, hey, we have man camps and housing. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> let's, let's run that. Let's do that. I'll, I'll take some housing. I'm not going to tell you I'm living in my car, but I'll I'll take a man camp. And I, st I stayed there for six months and I banked the most money I've ever made in my entire life. That dude, that's incredible. 
That's incredible. What a what a story on coming through too, you know? Like what an absolute story on coming through. You came up from the worst of the worst to figuring it out to getting punched in the freaking face, like literally. And then from there to making the most money you've ever made. And uh, I don't know what else screams resilience. And now you're full on drill hand. And uh, what, dude, just congr- like, not congratulations, because you're way past that now. But like, what a testament to your character of just resolve, man. Like, I hope, and I know you are, but like, I really hope people listening understand like how proud you should be of yourself for accomplishing that. Um, I want to speed this up a little bit through your history though. Cause uh, that, I had no idea about that by you, about you, by the way, that is such an entertaining thing. So that got you into oil and gas, man. And what a st- man, I hope you're proud. I hope, I really do hope you're proud because that's such a unique and cool one-off story of getting into oil and gas and like literally the old school way of like knocking on doors to find out and shit. People don't understand, but that's how you used to have to get into this shit. Yeah. You used to just have to have a set of nuts and go and you'd show up every every day and talk to the same person until they hired you essentially. Right. Or you talk to the same five people until one of them realizes this kid might need something or I can help him. Or he's, they he's decide not going to. away. Exactly. So then what happened? You got into oil and gas. You're a welder. Let's, um, what, so where'd you long go from story short, long story short, we'll speed through that. I was, I welded for about six months and, uh, the guy I was working for was like, Hey, you, you obviously have an aptitude and I'm young. I mean, I'm 20 at this point. He's like, you have an aptitude and a drive to you. I, I think you would do a lot better being a foreman because I was welding pipe on crews. And so we're we're building the the well pads before the oil rig shows up, doing all the piping. Pretty bit they call it pre-builds. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, I got no problem running that. I was like, I already got I already got the layout down. We can let's run with it. And so I started running a a 20 man crew after six months of working with this company fast forward year and a half i'm i'm running 60 over 60 guys on four different sides doing pre-builds and and post-builds so before the drill rig shows up and then after the drill rig is done completing the path fast forward another few years 2008 happens we're a 265 employee company. They called a massive meeting one random day. I think it was January like 20 or 30th, the end of a January 2008. And called 35 names of 265 people to the office. And we're all in the, sitting in the warehouse. And we all, there's 35 of us. I'm one of the 35 names. We go to the office. We think it's just a random drug test or something or like whatever. They laid off those other 230 people. Holy cow. And said, and said that things aren't looking bright for the future. And these 230 people that were working with us, they're from all over the USA. They're not people that are from Wamsutter. Nobody's from Wamsutter. It's, I mean, it's a population of like 200 and everyone travels there every day or, or flies in and they laid off everybody. Holy and cow. I made it through that. 
I made it through that. And I was, I thought to myself, well, obviously they see something in me to keep me. What, what do they see in me to keep me? What, what is it that makes sets me aside from all these other people? They just laid off. And so it's like a question I used to ask myself was like, why did I make it? And 235 people, this company just disappeared today. And I talked to the owner about it and he was like, he's like, well, you're, you're one of those people that I can't put my finger on it, but with your attitude and how you interact with people and how you hold yourself, you have a certain type of aptitude that you just don't see or come across. And you're one of those people that I know I can just throw you at anything, even if you don't know what it is. And you're going to either figure it out or you're going to call someone to figure it out and you're not going to bug me about it. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's true. And it's not really something I thought about. It's that, you know, the old school, just get it done mentality. Right. <clears throat> and so then, so you made it through the 2008, the recession and you stayed with them for a couple more years or where'd you go from there? I stayed with them for six more months. And then it was it was kind of getting slow. And I started looking around the US and I found that over in northeast Montana was was kind of starting to pick up. And North Dakota, Northeast Montana, going from gas to oil and going from a supervisorial position in oil and gas, I was like, okay. What do I want to do next? Do I want to stay in the same position or do I want to do something different? And so I started looking at like company, they call them company mans. You know, when I'm on site, there's a rep from a company, rather British Petroleum, Exxon Mobil, Marathon. There's always a person from that company on site telling me what I need to do. And then I'm telling everybody else. And I was like, I could do that job. Well, I applied for the job with BP and I got denied after my, it was my third interview. I made it through the first two. The third interview, I had a flight to Houston and they denied me because I, I still had felonies on my record. Hmm. And it was like, damn, I knew, I knew they would eventually catch up with me. Well, I kept looking. I'm like, first person says no, I'm going to keep looking. I went to ExxonMobil and they're like, oh yeah, we're acquiring a company out of Montana and North Dakota called XTO. If you want to go up there and be a consultant for us, on-site basically company man, we'll hire you. And I was like, I'll, I'll fucking move up there today and figure it out. <laughs> And I moved up to Plentywood, Montana. It's it was the cheapest place in Montana to buy a fucking house, and seven miles from the Canadian border, and thirteen miles from North Dakota. So it's the top northeast corner, and it is a shithole. It was, I mean, it's called talk about frozen tundra. You know, you might wake up to a thirteen foot snowdrift over your house even though the forecast didn't say that was going to happen, but you're just getting this massive winds and snows coming from Canadian. 
It's horrible. Right. We're, so then you moved up, up to Montana and started as a company man. And then you spent how much time doing that? About two, two years. years. So 2009 and a half, so 2010 really to 2013. Then I, I uh, transferred over to Idaho. I got a phone call from some guys I used to work for in uh, BP. They all left BP, got a job in Texas. Texas company wanted to do oil and gas in Idaho. They're like, hey, we know that you originally, we knew you from Idaho. You want to go back? And I was like, well, sure. Where's it at? And so they hit me up, went back to Idaho, got a contract with them. We did a drilled six wells and did a 14-mile pipeline to a natural gas processing facility. First, first of its you know, thing in Idaho, there was no real oil and gas there. It's the first gas processing facility, oil and gas wells in Idaho. And I got to be a part of it. And once we, it was operational, they pretty much laid us all off. Damn. So back to square one. Back to square one. And that brings, that brings us up to where I met you because my first job after oil and gas, I was like, man, I just bought a house in New Plymouth. I've been here for almost two years. What the hell am I going to do going from a $12,000 a month cush job to nothing? There's no oil and gas out. There's nothing else here for me. And 2014, 15 was a tough year for oil and gas because, I mean, the price of oh, gas crashed. Crashed. Yep. And so I started looking around. And the day I got married, 2015, was the day I got laid off. I literally got an email the day that me and my wife were getting married and was like, hey, we need you to come in tomorrow to have your formal exit interview. And I was like, what the fuck is a formal exit interview? We're laying <laughs> all of you guys off. And I'm like, what? I just spent $6,000 of my savings and remodeled my kitchen for our wedding. Like I have nothing. No, all my savings is gone. And my, I didn't even tell my wife until after the wedding. I was like, oh, by the way, we're unemployed. <laughs> and then that's when I found Inland and met you. And then you got into the, so you went from oil field, so you went from convict to oil field to running oil work as a company man to a new construction essentially for oil and still company man asset to see you later. It's slow. We don't got nothing for you. And I can relate to that because in the crane world, me and big Randy, you remember Randy, uh, we, we yeah. went through the same thing where it was busy, busy, busy. And then all of a sudden like, Oh yeah, we don't got shit. Sorry guys. Like uh, everybody says it's going to be slow and they, you know, you call all the people you wanted in the world all over the country and, I mean, it was dead. I, I had company man, actually, ironically, come and be under my hook that following winter in, um, 
as riggers, guys that were making 350K a year the year before, took a year off of work after making so much money. And then they just got bored and came to work for 25 bucks an hour when they're like, so, I mean, it got people, what people need to understand is it got bad. And a, a lot of the guys that listen to this probably lived through this and they know what we're talking about. So then let's yeah. move. Cause then you went from inland. I met you on that job and you were one of my hands and you were great. Like I said, you were one of the more competent and we had briefly talked about you, how you built gas pads. And me and you had a lot of just bullshit conversations, killing time about oil field trash shit and being, you know, just coming up through the mud, literally into getting like making aggressive career movements to get where we were at the time to getting sunk because the industry sunk and doing what we had to do, but still trying to go. Right. And which was a cool time. But, um, so then after inland, you or not after, but then after that job, I left Micron and went to a petrochemical plant to do some stuff. Cause I was requested to come run a group of a crane operators, come do like essentially a working foreman position um, at a petrochemical plant in Morris, Illinois. And then you went to the drill side and you've been involved with drilling ever since. Right. Um, and for the sake of time yeah. here, I'll kind of have you speed through this part, but so get us to where you are now. Okay. So when I met you, I had never done foundation drilling in my life. I saw that this company did drilling and they ran cranes and I was familiar with cranes and I was familiar with, with oil field drilling. Talked with those guys and it was one of those, they, they hired me and then I quit two weeks in. So I quit when you left Micron, I quit. And it was like, I need to find something better. These guys aren't paying me what I need to pay them, pay me. I talked to the two owners and they're like, well, hey, we have a drill job coming up. We'll pay you what you're asking for if you just come back. Because we think that you'd be perfect fit for it. And I was like, well, I mean, if, if you'll pay me now and make sure I have my at least my 40 hours a week, I'll stay and let's do this job. And granted, I had no idea about foundation drilling or had any idea what it was going to entail, but I spoke and had the confidence in myself that I knew I could figure whatever it was, I could figure it out. Right. I worked, I worked that job and it was a badass job. It was one of the nine single tower suspension bridges in the world. That was my first job within the crane. Yeah. In a remote location in Riggins, Idaho. And, and because of that job and working directly with the owner, Jim Hayner, and picking his brain, I picked that dude's brain and he never, he never complained because everybody didn't like talking to him. And I love talking to that guy. He was a 75 year old encyclopedia of information. And when I realized he was an open book, I would, I would ask him questions all day. I would go back to my, my tent and my camper and live in Riggins. And I would think of questions and things to ask this guy to learn about what I was doing and other things about drilling to help my knowledge bank, you know, progress. And so I did that job for two years and then we did some other jobs. And then I came at a crossroads with Inland Crane, you know, five years later, four and a half years later, I was like, hey, this is where I, I had a conversation with the, the owners and the general manager. And I was like, hey. This is where I'm at, and this is where I feel like I need to be. And I would like you guys to meet me here, 
and I have no problem staying with you and progressing. If you can't meet me here, then I'm going to, I'm going to look for, for another position. And they says, well, we can't, we can't do that. I'm like, well, but I, I can't stay here any longer. I'll continue to work for you, but I'm going to be seeking something, something better for myself. And it's for me, I need that ladder to climb or mental stimulation of growth, of learning and, and grabbing that, that new trait or seeing something that needs to be done and have the ability just to go do it without being micromanaged. Like, oh, you can't do that. That's not our, that's not our deal. And so I have this internal thing in me to just continue pushing myself to that next level. Well, because of my past and then doing inland, and I saw that, okay, there's a huge need for competent people in this industry. I'm going to become a master at my craft and, and sell myself as I can do this lane and then help other people. Well, because of that, I had reached out to, I had put my resume out there on LinkedIn. I've kind of, you know, made some, made some cold calls, talked to people and, you know, nothing ever came of it. I left Inland, kind of did my own thing. I got um, some contract work as a freelance guy working for different companies, uh, Malcolm, Condon, Atlas Kafka. You know, hey, we just sold a hoodie. We know that you ran a hoodie for a couple of years. Can you come help us, you know, do it, do a new thing with this company just bought one. Can you come show these guys how to run it and tell them the, the tips and tricks of it? Yeah, no problem. And so by putting myself out there and, and doing some cold calls like, hey, you have anything going on? Hey, I can do this. Can you know, you put me put me to work? I'm looking for some stuff. And just the fact of putting yourself out there when a lot of times you feel very uncomfortable to do that and having those conversations and being real with, with people that you're like, you're starving, but they don't know you're starving. It really helps because all you're doing is in a sense, you're manifesting your own future yeah. by putting, putting out there what you want and what you need. And at the time, I just needed something. And so I progressed through that. And then because of all of that, I, I started getting calls and emails from places. Got a call and an email from a, an international company via LinkedIn. It says, hey, we, you, we know you don't know us, but somehow you, the universe dropped your resume off on our desk and we couldn't help but call you. What are you looking for? Because we're looking for somebody to start a drilling division for spider excavators. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what the hell is a spider excavator? But I'm all about drilling. So like, I'm intrigued. They flew me to Reno, had a conversation with the owner, gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. Next thing you know, me and my whole family are on the road traveling, living in Airbnbs and, and resorts in Park City and Telluride and Chattanooga, Tennessee, and islands off of Seattle, doing jobs, building a drilling division for a spider excavator company that 
came out of the blue. And because of me doing that job and putting myself out there on LinkedIn, I started getting random, you know, messages on LinkedIn like, hey, we see what you're doing. Are you able? Can you come help us? Hey, can you come help us? Can you look at this job for us? And I had got a, my wife and I had been talking. We were sitting in uh, Telluride, Colorado at a hotel. And I was like, man, I just don't feel like this this is it for me. I feel like there's something bigger coming in. And it was like a week later, I got a message. For me, I'm big on numbers. So when I see like 333, in the middle of like a situation or a conversation, or if I'm thinking about something and I see, I see the three, three, three or a specific number section session, I'm like, okay, my gut's telling me this is, this is meant to be. I got a message and then a phone call via LinkedIn at 1133 PM. Well, on to the next then Mark. (laughs) And I, I, I looked at the email and it was from Papua New Guinea. And I'm like, honey, wake up, wake up. I'm getting messages from some dude in Papua New Guinea. She's like, what, where's Papua New Guinea? And I'm like, hold on, let me look it up. Oh, it's an island above Australia. She's like, what do they want? It's like, they want me to come there and check a job out. She's like, no way. You're not, you're not going to go to Papua. That's how far away is it? I was like, it's across the other side of the earth. Like, it's the other side of the globe. <laughs> and I looked up the time, and it was 3.33 in Papua New Guinea when it was 11.33 in the U.S. And it's so a, you said... It's 17 hours ahead. And I says, honey, I'm taking this job, and I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. And she's like, we don't, we don't have a house. We're traveling with you for your business. Like... We sold everything we owned. And I'm like, it's all right, though. It's all going to work out. I know it. Enjoy this nice Airbnb. I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I took the job. I, I replied to him. And it was, it, was, it was the longest three months before that job started I've ever experienced in my life. Because it wasn't just, oh, you're hired. It was, oh, oh, we'd love for you to come here. And then it was, you're emailing people with a language barrier via Singapore, Australia, and Papua yeah. New Guinea trying to, to communicate on a whole different level only via email about what's going to happen. So the first month, you know, we both thought it was, it was maybe I'm just being trolled and it's not a real job. Well, it turned out it was a real job. And then they're like, okay, now you need to do a medical. And I had to do an eight-hour medical exam. Nine vials of blood had to be drawn from me to check everything you could possibly ever think of. Like, they could tell the shots I had when I was a baby because of my blood exam. And and run on a treadmill and do all the CPAP and and hearing and vision and, and hooked up to EKG on treadmills and then sleeping because of the the life insurance policy that they were about to put on me 
before I could step foot in that country as a civilian. And so then you obviously you took the job and now you're running working globally, which was a which was a career goal of yours, was it not? It was it was I told myself right after I got out of prison in 2005, 2006, and started in the oil and gas fields. I was like, my goal every like every day I told myself, I'm gonna do what I can and learn what I can. And I want to be an international drilling consultant. And I used to tell people that. And they used to tell me, you're an idiot. You're crazy. You're always going to be a grunt. You're always just going to be a supervisor. You're never, you have two felonies. You're never going to be able to leave the U.S. There's no way possible. Well, when that all happened and I got that message, I didn't have a passport. I never even thought about getting a passport because I didn't think I could. I had two class A felonies. I told them that I don't have a passport and it's going to take me three to four months to get one. They says, oh, let us call the U.S. Embassy and see what we can do. And they wrote me a mother effing letter that says, we need Mark Futrell's services in Papua New Guinea as soon as possible. If there's anything we can do to help you expedite his passport process, please feel free to contact us, PNG government. And they said, take this letter and drive to Seattle, Washington and go to the ATF FBI building at eight o'clock in the morning and give them this letter and you'll have a passport by 2 p.m. <laughs> and I went from I went from never having a passport in my life to driving my ass to Seattle, walking into some federal building as a two-time felon and leaving at 2 p.m. with a photo passport and leaving three and a half, four days later on a plane and traveling for 28 hours on a plane to a new country that I've never been to. As an international drill consultant. As an international drilling consultant for ExxonMobil. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. And then how long did you do that? <laughs> I did that for 19 months. Couple of trips. And it just it was just it just got a little too crazy. So I'd work a month on my first shift. I actually worked six weeks. Then I came home. I was home for three weeks. I worked four weeks. Came home for three weeks. Worked for six weeks because I was starving and I needed that money. Yeah. Because we went from not having a house, living living in company housing in a sense, to homeless, and. Right before I found out about this job, they approached me a week before that. My wife was like, hey, we're pregnant and we're going to have our fifth child. Holy cow. So then you're, you're right back in it. Right back in it. And Only so this time it's time to get a, a house. It took three more months before we could start the job. And so... I let my company know, hey, I got an offer and I'm going to take it. I'm going to go international. And they're like, 
And I told him I want to give him a month notice because I was estimating some pretty big jobs, you know, some one to $3 million jobs for the company. And I was like, hey, I'm going to estimate these and we'll probably get them, but I'm not going to be here to perform them or help perform them. So I want to give you a month's notice so that we could try to replace my, my position because I have to go do what I'm going to do. I have to. And they fired me on the spot. <laughs> of course they did. They don't, uh, of course they did. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really sorry that that happened, dude, but those oil field people, they can be cutthroat like that. And this, in the industry that we come through, they, you think you do the right thing. Hey, I'm going to give you guys two weeks and this and that. And then they're like, cool, take your shit with you. We're done. And you're like, wait, whoa, no. Like, I, I'm just letting you know, I got to, yeah, the, see, I take your lunch pail, like your check, come back at two. I'll have a check for you. Like just cold blooded. That's how they are in that industry. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but you had to do what you had to do. And it ended up taking you to literally a life, a career goal of yours and a life goal of yours as an international drilling consultant. And then you did two years, a little over, or just under two years and in and out of Papua New Guinea of all places, do it. Uh, your photos for that were just incredible. I'll probably steal some of your photos from your social media to share with everybody. But um, uh, you traveled the world and then that brought you time to come home, right? Yeah, it brought me time to come home. I mean, Papua, Papua New Guinea is probably a whole nother episode or you know explanation of what, what went down there. But because of that, I, I was sharing what I was doing via LinkedIn and had you know, followers from all over country, literally like the world, not just the, like the country, the world, you know, I post a picture and I might only have 80 or 90 people like it or comment on it, but they might be from 30 different countries going, Hey, what's this guy doing? And how is he in Papua New Guinea doing this? Like what, what's going on? And so I'd get messages and, and, and emails and, you know, responses from all, all, all these people. And so when I left Papua New Guinea, I had reached out to a couple people I was dealing with out of the United Kingdom, the UK. And I was like, hey, I'm resigning from Papua New Guinea. Uh, you know, you got any, is there anything popping off in the US? I'm looking, I'm looking for a foundation drilling or spider job. And the guy was like, well, shoot, shoot, shoot me a resume and I'll send it out to some of the people that we have on my contact list. And I got immediately, before I even landed in, in Los Angeles, flying back from Australia, I had a, a conference call set up with Condon Johnson and they were looking for a senior superintendent for Pacific Northwest. And I was like, damn, all right, let's roll. All right. Had a, con had a conversation with them. I mean, three days being home, and it was like I accepted the position. It was a hell of an offer, and I told him, "Yeah, I'll start, but I'm going to take you know seven weeks off and enjoy some time with my family, get some stuff caught up at home, and then I'll start you know six, seven weeks from now." They're like, "Yeah, no problem." During that time, I was getting a lot of messages and emails from different spire excavator companies, different drilling companies, different companies from all over the U.S. and, you know, overseas. And I'm like, damn, I start talking with the wife and I'm like, I need to go with how I feel, not with what the job looks like. And so I started really thinking about how I would 
interact in each of those positions and what would make me the happiest? What would I feel like I would do the, the best job? Because once you're in that superintendent or, or senior role, you know how most roles are going to go depending on what company you're in. Right. And I knew how I'd roll at Condon Johnson would go. And then I got a call from this guy from Apex, never heard of the company. Hey, we just bought a spider excavator and we need somebody to teach us how to do some shit. Sorry. My phone's just wigged out. We need, we need somebody to teach us how to do some stuff. Do you have a minute? And I was like, I've never heard of you, but I would love to give you the time of day. And he was like, hey, I'll schedule a conference call with the owner of our company. And I was like, yeah, it needs to be like this weekend because I'm supposed to start a job with you know, one of your competitors on Thursday. So this needs to happen ASAP. And we need to like get the ball rolling because I already accepted a position. I'm just going to be straightforward with you guys. And after talking with this company, Drill Tech and Apex, it was it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Well, one for the offer they gave me, and two for the freedom that they gave me to use my knowledge and not micromanage me. To say, hey, we need you. Come here. Here's our all of our jobs. Go out there and look at each of our jobs. And what can you do to help us save time? money and resources we need help so they gave you a general superintendent role they gave me a general superintendent role the under the basically circumstance that they want me to be a general manager for them but they want me to see how they operate yeah so next step up the ladder ding 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 Easy transition yeah. for you. Continue the growth it's, game, right? And it's a constant. It's a constant. Oh, yep, my phone's here. messing up. It's a it's a constant. You know, I want to climb in a sense the corporate ladder, but I want to climb it on how it makes me feel like I'm doing something of value, right? So it's a win-win for you because you're still climbing the ladder in the leadership rings, right? You're still climbing the leadership ladder, yes. but at the same time, it gives you purpose. Yes. And it, it gives, it feels, and, it it, it, and it's fulfilling, right? It is, it is fulfilling because, you know, you're like me and there's so many other people out there that are like us that have that internal calling of something to do something more than what they're doing. And so my, my internal, you know, whether it's like the Rudolph, the red nose ranger beacon, I'm, I'm going towards something constantly that I don't know exactly what I'm going for, but I keep going and going regardless of what the path is. I go where my gut and my heart says, you need to do this. And it might not, some of the jobs I've done, I've, I've, I didn't make the best money. But the experience and knowledge I gained from that position 
elevated me for my next position to have that plus this whole other bank of knowledge I had to combine them to elevate myself to that next level. And if I never done B and only done the A route, I wouldn't have had that in my bank to elevate myself. That's incredible. So sometimes, sometimes the positions that open up or present themselves to you, a lot of times you get presented, you know, multiple different options. It's like, okay, I've been doing A, here's comes B, oh, there's a C and a D. Well, I like B, but maybe C is the route I'm going to take. I'm going to go C. When you do C, you know inside of you one month in if this was the right path. Okay, this is me. This is this is a good fit. I'm going to stay on this path. And then unintentionally, by doing this, your your banking knowledge and banking experience that you don't even realize you're banking until you hit that next wall on that C path. And it turned out maybe you should have done B, but now you have multiple different avenues and more knowledge to bring to the table when you do that next position. And so you're you're basically like gathering knowledge in a sense is how I feel is you're going down and just gathering everything you can and learning like a sponge, everything you can as you go down this, you know, random life that we live and paths that we take to some end goal of stability and success. Man. Well, that's incredible, dude. And your journey has been a testament to your character and your, the growth that you've experienced has every bit of it's been earned, man. And every single bit of it's been earned. Like what you just said that resonates with me personally. And I know it will resonate with our audience, right? Like that. I want to really capitalize on what you said, because this is a very important point. Like there is not one route. There is not one way to get to X. There might be, there might be a through J and you might have to go from a to K and then take a step back to C or a to D. Right. And then take a step back to C and then to jump to I or whatever. Right. Like, and then back to B. But every time you do that, you're acquiring more skills and more knowledge and building your resume more. And it's all about your perspective and it's all about what you're willing to take away from it. And your story is a testament to that. Um, and I, I want to thank you because for time's sakes here, we got to wrap this up. But um, I, I want to thank you for sharing that with us because, dude, what an incredible story to go from the bottom of the barrel, tough life where it wasn't your cards weren't dealt necessarily fair, but you didn't take fair as an item. It's a concept, right? Like you just took it for what it is. Then you accelerated your growth to where you are now, like literally from convict to get punched in the nose, to getting into the blue collar thing, to just give me a chance. I'll learn how to weld it to literally learning how to weld it in an hour to make it work to six months later, running the entire crew to running six crews to or four crews on six jobs to freaking a company man to a company man in a new construction a whole different area of it that somewhere that hasn't been done to and i'm just trying to recap this because it's an incredible feat to 
back to the bottom again with uh, essentially being a, a, a oiler and to jumping into drilling and then to working as a driller to drilling like foreman to drilling superintendent to senior superintendent to international drilling consultant and now back to general superintendent just shy of being an ops manager essentially you're essentially an operations manager but you're being humble about it and how you're stating it and you're and you're getting your feet wet in your new position but that's essentially what you are for for our audience's sake is he's essentially a general superintendent slash operations manager which is incredible yeah. working towards being a general manager uh for a a company that just started. Um, so Mark with that, um, <clears throat> give them, I want some advice. Um, we'll, we'll phrase this like you're giving me advice, but I want you to give our audience some advice here. As we know right now, it's hard. Some commercial stuff and a lot of the, say the Pacific Northwest and other places is slowing down. Um, the world's heavy. There's lots of hard shit going on. There's lots of sad things. It's, what would you tell somebody that's going through it right now? Um, what what advice would you give them? Not only a going through it, but b to to pull themselves out of it and give them some hope, man. Well, when I when I was in the thick of it and and didn't didn't see or feel a way out, I was told from you know my elders at that time, Mark. We know that you're struggling, but this too shall pass. It's when you're in the moment and you have the weight of the world and the weight of the bills and the weight of your kids and your wife and everything on your shoulders that you feel are crushing you like I can, there is hope. And the hope is, is your mindset of that there's a, always a way out. There's always an avenue or a way out. You might not see it in that moment. It might not be visible to you. But you sit down and you think about what you need in today, what you need in two weeks, what you need in a month, what you need in six months, what you need in a year, and write it down on a little notepad and say, I need, you know, I need a job. I need a contact. I need whatever it may, it may be that you need in that moment, you know what you need, write it down and tell yourself every morning when you get up, which I have done personally, okay, I need to find a job today. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to hit 20 different businesses. And I'm going to say, Hey, this is, this is my skill set. I'm hungry. I need work. And I'm going to, I'm going to not stop. And I'm going to set my bottom dollars. Like I know what I minimally need and someone's going to, someone's going to pay me what I need to survive. I might be three months behind, but I'm going to figure it out. Bills will wait. Things can get a month behind, two months behind. Credit can get dinged. You know, I've had a negative freaking, I mean, a 300 credit score up to a 780 credit score in the last nine years. It doesn't matter. It's just a number. And so it doesn't matter how low you are or how high you are. There's always that next level to achieve. And if you have the mindset to grow and achieve and do whatever the fuck it takes to get it done, you will be successful. That's powerful, man. That's powerful. 
I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you for that because there's a lot of people, as you know, right now that are struggling. And uh, I just want to echo that they're not alone. Uh, you can reach out to Mark. Uh, other people like him are literally out there. Barbarians are out there ready just to help. That's all they want. They've been through it themselves and they've elevated into this position where they can help. And Mark has helped me. Um, I know like me personally right now, I'm in the, in the spot where I'm trying to transition careers. I'm doing the air quotes impossible, right? Going from a dumb crane hand to trying to get into supervision and completely even outside of the crane and not in cranes. Like I'm just trying to make the jump and you've been a huge encouragement along my journey and a huge resource for me. And I want to thank you for that um, as well as your time on this show. Um, one more piece of advice I want to leave with people with before we close the show. Uh, if you could give one suggestion to someone that's in the trades right now, that's in the middle that look a guy like me, that's in the transition process, but, or looking at transitioning, what would it be? <clears throat> I would I would say the number one thing going from being a a hard hard ass working laborer crane operator to moving to the next level would be to to sit down and think about everything that you've done over the the course of your your job history. Can you hear me? Yes, yep. Oh, sorry. I can start over. You, no, I lost you. I heard. Yo, I can hear you. Okay. If you're if you're sitting as a laborer or an operator, going going through, you know, an internal conundrum of, I need to get to the next level, but I don't know how. You you sit down, and you you think about the course of your life, and all the work you've done and the things you've seen and the work you've been around and you write, you just do like a brain dump of everything that you've been involved in. And then you take that brain dump and you turn it into line items, you know, say you've done, you know, 25 or 30 different jobs that are similar and you've had to make the phone calls and call people. And so you turn your history of, being a laborer, being an operator into a selling point and highlight everything that you know that you can do and you have done and you put it down into your resume and you, you build your resume up to what you want to be. Maybe not what you are, you know, you're an operator, but you want to get to the next level, but you're not, you can't turn an operator exactly resume or a laborer resume into a superintendent position without adjusting some some fine details so you adjust some details and change your mentality from that labor position or operator position to the management aspect and and talk like you are a manager or you are a superintendent even though the only job you've had is a laborer or a foreman or an operator mindset of how you present yourself, how you sell yourself to what you know you can be is how you'll is be how received. People are going to take you and receive you. 
Man, that is gold, Mark. That is absolute fire, dude. You're 100% right, dude. What you sell or who you present yourself as is who you will be. Literally, they don't know you from Adam. All they know is what you say you are. Period. The end. Like, period. The end. And you have to have that freaking confidence to know, I got this. I could do this. Confidence. Confidence is key. Confidence sells. And if you're confident in what you can bring to the table, they're going to be confident in how you bring that to the table because how you present yourself for that future employment or that that new opportunity or that new position. If you don't have that confidence to sell yourself and know what you're capable of, you'll never get to the next level that you want to be at without that confidence. That's incredible, man. Well, Mark, with that, we're at an hour and a half, just shy of it. Um, this has been an incredible story. We're going to come back again and have you on again to answer some more questions in depth because you're uh, just a book of knowledge. And I really think our audience will benefit from that. But on this show, we're just going to wrap this up. And I just personally, I want to congratulate you on all your growth and your achievements and your new beautiful baby. Well, not new now, but newest beautiful baby. And I I also, I just want to thank you for your time um, and being on this show, uh, the Blue Collar Barbarians podcast, because it's people like you that literally make this possible for all of us. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your encouragement. And thank you for the your wisdom. And I look forward to having you on again soon to crush these guys with some more questions. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you so much. If you don't mind, please share this show. Tag your friends. Share it with somebody going through it. Uh, this one has been absolute blast. Mark was fantastic. And we just want to thank him again. And we will see you guys on the flip side. Hit the stop button.